Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has liked, reviewed, rated, and subscribed to Confessions of an Arcade Addict and telling your friends and everything like that. Please keep it going. I just recently went up over 500 likes on Facebook and I'm really, really grateful to each and every one of you. Now on with the show. episode number 31 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, when last we left, uh, I think it was about a month ago, um, first of all, my apologies. Uh, I've been stressed out a lot lately and working and trying basically to keep everything on even keel and sometimes because of that, you know, the podcast tends to take a bit of a backseat, so I apologize for that. I try and get these things out once every three weeks or so, and life sometimes interferes, and when it does, I, you know, you know, I don't have to tell you guys. I mean, hell, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Oh, but anyway, so when last we left off, um, I went up to the arcade in Brighton again, um, had a pretty decent time, um didn't do anything of note aside from straight nining the Galaga machine, all because somebody there wanted to see me do it. Uh, so I did it. <laughs> uh, let's see, what did I play? I played um, Asteroids and Star Wars, of course, and, you know, several other games. And, you know, just a normal day of stress relief at the arcade in Brighton. So, you know, nothing really to write home about there. I know I've been remiss in posting, or in not posting, images on uh, Instagram, but the next time I go up there, uh, I will make sure to do that. Um, with the social distancing and the uh, capacity numbers of the building reduced, I think the most people they can have in there at one time is like 63, which is, I think, 50% capacity, if I remember right. Um, but... Yeah, so even then, there weren't that many people in uh, in the arcade. So, you know, basically had free run of the place. You know, had a little fun. You know, blew off a little steam. You know, the usual. Um, let's see. On the home gaming front, um, I've been uh, playing uh, Battletech a lot. Uh, I've been playing... Um, uh, Steambirds Alliance quite a bit, and also when I found out that Star Wars Squadrons was coming out, I immediately pounced on that. Um, full disclosure for those who don't know, um, 
I've been a Star Wars fan since the summer of 1977 when it came out. And, you know, anything Star Wars that's good, you know, I'm all about it. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm rereading uh, the Rogue Squadron novel series um, that Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston, may rest in peace, uh, wrote back in the 90s. And yep, they're just as much fun now as the 15 or 20 times that I've read them. <laughs> but that's just how it is. Um, so yeah, I, download, I bought and downloaded Star Wars Squadrons, and that game is so much fun. Oh my goodness. Um, as I said when um, we were all waiting for uh, Electronic Arts to fully release the game for you know download and install, we're all sitting there on like a Thursday night waiting for midnight to strike so that uh, the game you know so that the servers EA turns their servers on and you install the game and you can start playing it. And I said while I was watching all of the um, all of the um, trailers for the game, I said, this hits me right in the 1977 feels, for sure. You know, it's a lot of fun. Um, the game takes place, like, four years after the Battle of Endor. You know, the New, the, uh, New Republic is, you know, fighting against the Empire, you know, still. And one of the, the coolest things about the game is that you play it from both sides in, in the story mode. You know, you start either way. You start off as either a you know a new a new Republic pilot or an Imperial pilot, and as the story progresses, you switch, which means you fly when you're uh, playing the New Republic. You're in X wings, Y wings, A wings, of and V or excuse me, and U wings, and you know each ship has their. Um, Different characteristics, and they're all fun. Um, and of course, it's the same thing for uh, when you're playing uh, the Empire. You're flying Tie fighters, Tie interceptors, Tie bombers, and I forget what the uh, I think it's called Tie raptors, I think, or phantoms, or something like that. But it's more of a support craft, and you know that's a lot of fun too. I just when I left off, I just finished a mission with the uh, the phantom. And, you know, the way you have to play that ship is a lot different than just, you know, flying a TIE fighter around and shooting everything in sight. So, yeah, I mean, this game is a lot of fun. There are some people out there who are negative about it, but I haven't found any significant um, flaws in the game. But I'm still working my way through story mode, and there's much more to the game. So, we'll see. Um... So yeah, that's pretty much what's going on as far as gaming in my life goes right now. Uh, I did a check of uh, emails and social media, uh, still nothing out there. So once again, um, if you have any questions, thoughts, um, anything that uh, catches your eye over the last 30 episodes, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, there is a number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, social media is humming along as we speak. I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, you just uh, type in the search bar, Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. 
also there is a um, discussion group that is linked to that so if you want to get a hold of me through there that's cool and also there are uh, people there that you can have discussions with or ask questions about games so forth and so on um, you know so yeah that's there for you my Twitter uh, screen name is at arcade addict underscore B Instagram is at arcade addict Brian and tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict so once again there are multiple ways of getting hold for, hold of the show if you got any questions comments you know as long as you're civil have at it we can talk about it so then I got a little bit here it's a bit of a short show but I think you'll like it so let's get right into it story time bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time. Friendly competition. As much as I love playing uh, games in the arcade and you know the varying home systems through the 1980s and 90s into the 2000s you know as much as I love doing that um, it would it the experience was better when you played against another human being um, it was a way to test your knowledge and skill of a game against that person's skill level and as long as the guy wasn't like a master at it and would just you know run you off the game inside of like two minutes or three minutes you know you know it was fun just you know having a little test of skill um i love doing it i remember uh throughout my mall rat slash arcade days when i would want to you know when i would play uh games or when I saw someone playing a game like, say, Asteroids, and I saw him walk up to the machine about to throw a quarter in, you know, I'd sidle up to him and I would say, hey, you want to play doubles? And more often than not, they would say, yeah, because, you know, most of those games were, you know, alternating turns. There wasn't a lot of um, player versus player games. Uh, there were some, but just not a lot. Not like today. But as far as, you know, people in the arcades, you know, that was either hit or miss, really, because you could get a guy, you know, a person who was, you know, nice about it and would say, yeah, we can play doubles, or no, I just want to play by myself. And then you just kind of have to wait. But you could get, like, on the other hand, you could get, like, rude or cheap players or sore losers. You know, I would run into those every once in a while. But, you know, to me personally, friends were the best people to play with. Not against my brother because the competition between him and I was too fierce and too intense and it became way too personal. You know, I could run a couple of stories about that, but <laughs> another time, <laughs> you know, I have to get a little comfortable with, you know, relating those stories because, yeah, it was, you know, it was really, really intense between he and I. And the funny part was is that with the exception of like one game, the game called uh, Megazone, which was uh, introduced, I think, in 
1986, I think, or 85 in there somewhere. Um, that was the only game my brother could kiss, consistently beat me at. Otherwise, I, I would, once I got into my teens and middle teens, yeah, I was taking him out with regularity, and he just did not like that. <laughs> but yeah, not my brother, because that was just a whole different thing. Uh, that was really, really personal and really, really intense. But I had the best time with my friends, you know, because we knew there was nothing at stake aside from bragging rights. And in the case of a couple of people, you know, bragging rights was all that mattered in, you know, our circle of friends when it came to certain games. Um, uh, let's see. Um, there were tons of, like, different things going on at the Nintendo kiosk. I talked about that in a previous episode. I had a job there for like three or four months right over the uh, Christmas season of uh, 1990 going into 1991. And before then, um, they were there, yeah, they were there like in like spring of 1990. And they had like um, one, two, three, five, five, uh, TV enclosed TV screens hooked up to uh, Nintendo Entertainment Systems, and they and uh, they had various games in them. And you know, we would go, I would go there and want to play a certain game. You know, I would play like, um, oh goodness, what would I, what was I playing? I can't even remember now. But the thing that you know sticks out in my memory about the the kiosk before I got a job there is that. Myself, uh, this kid named Mike, and like, I want to say four or five other dudes, we would, uh, when Baseball Stars came out for the Super Nintendo, um, or not the Super Nintendo, excuse me, the NES, um, once we figured out that you could create your own baseball teams, and then you could pitch yourself up against the computer-controlled teams and other uh, created teams by other players, and it would be done tournament-style, um, and that's how you earned money in the game to improve your team. Oh, it was on. <laughs> it was on, and it was cracking. Um, I mean, it was to the point where the competition got so intense between um, in that group is that we started... Uh, going into the game when the other guys were around and we would steal their best players and we would, you know, like create like a real crappy player and stick it on their team. And then when it came time for that person to come and play, you know, he would find out that one of his best players had been, you know, poached. It got really personal, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, another thing was uh, the summer games marathons that myself... Uh, my friend Edgar, my best friend Robert, and a couple other people used to have um, over Robert's house, over my house, and over uh, Edgar's house. Uh, we would just get together and play uh, Summer Games. For those who don't know, uh, Summer Games was um, uh, basically the Olympics. It came out in 1983 or 82 or 83, I think. It, it was somewhere close to the 84 Summer Olympics, that much I do know. But it was a fantastic um, Olympic sport 
game by uh, Epics. And, you know, you had 100-yard dash, 110-meter hurdles, javelin toss, um, long jump, and, you know, um, oh, goodness, uh, what did we have? There was a couple other events mixed in there. I think, like, a gymnastics was in there, too. Um, but it was, oh, that's right, uh, platform diving. That was the one that we always used to really uh, get competitive over because it wasn't the fact that you could um, jump, you know, you could have your diver spring off the platform and he could, you know, do various, uh, you know, pike position things and somersaults and, and all that kind of stuff. And you had to stick the landing. You had to be, when you entered the water, you had to be uh, perfectly uh, vertical hands down into the water. Although I think it worked the same if you'd landed feet first too. Um, and yeah, it w it got really, really intense, but it was fun. You know, um, the same thing for Epics Wrestling. That came out in, I want to say, like 1988. And uh, that was, like I said, that was several... Um, of my friends, we would get together over my house or Edgar's house, and we and we were all big time professional wrestling fans at the time, and we would just go at it with the various uh, characters in the game. That was fun. Um, GBA basketball was another one. Uh, that was me, my friend Edgar, my friend Walter, and like two or three other guys. We would set it up uh, tournament style. That was a uh, two-on-two basketball game uh, where you could create a player and then you would have uh, one of uh, select another player as your partner. And the funny part was is they had all NBA players uh, from, you know, ranging uh, from the 1960s through the 1980s, but they couldn't use their names because, of course, they didn't have NBA licensing. So they would use like... Um, names that you knew were uh, the players involved, but of course they didn't use their names, but it was fun. Um, me, another thing that I loved about competition uh, with friends was when uh, I was living with my roommate and like I, I've explained it in uh, previous episodes, um, how we met over uh, the Street Fighter 2 machine and we became friends and I ended up living with her later in the year. And then once I got established, we would go on arcade runs in Orlando, Florida. And, you know, we would be on the hunt for Street Fighter II machines, whether they be standard machines, the Champion Editions, um, Super Street Fighter II when that came out in 93. Um, and, of course, Super Turbo, which came out in 94 or 95 somewhere around there and we would just we would just push each other's games to uh different heights because when i first started playing against her she would she would absolutely kill me because she was really good but i figured her out and then i got better and then she figured me out she got better and then we would just you know have at it although we stopped uh she stopped playing against me one time when um, I did a absolute perfect move at the perfect time when she thought she had the fight won and she got really upset by it. I mean, 
if you're listening, Laura, you know it's the truth. It was just one of those things where it was just absolute perfect, and I could never do it again if I tried a hundred times, but it happened that once. Don't take it personal. Um, but one of my fondest memories is when I used to go uh, to the G Fox department store um, in the mall when I was hanging out, you know, um, as I found out a friend of the family, his name was Bernard, uh, he worked there. Uh, I think he worked in, he worked as a, a stock clerk in, you know, in the, you know, in the, um, warehouse, uh, side of the department store. And I remember I was in there once and I was messing around with the Intellivision, had baseball on it. And he saw me and, you know, he said, you know how to play this? I said, oh yeah, I know how to play this. Good enough to beat you. He's like, all right, let's see. And he spent his entire lunch hour playing baseball with me. And I already looked up to this this guy as, you know, um, my surrogate older brother. By this time, my brother had gone off to the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, he was uh, a friend of uh he was the son of a friend of my aunt and um when um i wasn't quite old enough to be at home by myself um my aunt used to take me over to um her friend's house her friend's name was barbara and she had uh, a she had a son and a daughter bernard and beverly and i used to hang out there and um, I used to play Stratomatic Baseball with Bernard, and I used to play, um, oh goodness, I can't remember the the game system, but it was one of the basic um, game systems from like the middle 70s, it was before the Atari 2600 came out, and it had uh, Pong and Bowling, and it had Driving, I can't remember the name, it was like Bally, Bally Multicade or something like that but it, it had all of these different games and they had different controllers and you know the most fun i had you know playing that system with them was you know we would do bowling and it was a lot of fun uh but yeah when uh i found out that bernard worked at the g fox we would have these epic world series level uh in television baseball games and, you know, I, those are memories I cherish because, you know, like I said, I looked up to him and, you know, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And, um, so, you know, it was a, it was a, a good thing and he was a pretty good video game player on top of it. So yeah, it was like, you know, it was perfect. So, um, yeah, that's story time, you know, my stories of friendly competition and so forth. Um, I know you guys out there listening, I know you have stories about uh, that one guy in the arcade who always was, you know, kicking your butt at a certain game and you were just determined to beat him, um, or you would have knockdown dragouts with a sibling or a family member or even your dad or an uncle, something like that. I would love to hear from you about it. Uh, ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, with that done... Let's move on to the next segment of the show, which is, Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. 
Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, baby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. You're getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Ikari Warriors. Oh, boy. This game. I'm telling you. I had a love-hate affair with this with this game. Um, and I'll go into it once I uh, give you guys a little bit of information from Wikipedia about the game. Okay. Uh, Ikari Warriors is a vertically scrolling, run-and-gun shoot-em-up arcade game developed by SNK, published in North America and Europe by Trade West, and released in 1986. Originally entitled Ikari, which is the Japanese word for fury, uh, Ikari Warriors was SNK's first major breakthrough U.S. release. The game was released at the time when there were many Commando clones on the market. That means uh, Commando, which was made by Capcom, which was a vertically scrolling uh, run-and-gun shooter in uh, released in 1985, for those who don't know. Um, what distinguished Ikari Warriors were the rotary joysticks and a two-player mode. Um, the player characters in Akari Warriors are Colonel Rolf Jones and 2nd Lieutenant Clark Still of the later King of Fighters series, and they are known outside of Japan as Paul and Vince. Uh, they battle through hordes of enemies. Uh, according to designer Keiko Iju, uh, the game was inspired by the popular Rambo films and takes its name from the Japanese title of Rambo First Blood Part Two which is called Rambo Ikari no Dashutsu or The Furious Escape. Uh, Rolf and Clark also make an appearance as playable characters in Metal Slug 6 and Metal Slug 7, as well as the King of Fighters series. Uh, they're also featured as cameos in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as background characters in the King of Fighters stadium stage, as well as both of them sharing a spirit. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, let's see. Gameplay. Uh, the player takes the role of commando-like warriors named Rolf, who has the red headband, and Clark, who has the blue headband, who must try to reach the village of Akari. Enemy units attempting to kill the player include tanks, enemy soldiers, and helicopters. A number of power-ups along the way uh, help the player achieve victory. Players must proceed from the bottom of the screen upwards toward the village of Akari. The enemy tanks are immune to enemy bullets, but have... and they shoot uh, shells. As you pr proceed uh, further in the game, they shoot missiles, then missiles that uh, create massive explosions, which are <laughs> can give you all kinds of problems. As you uh, go along in the game, you also have uh, tanks that you can jump into. Uh, the tanks are immune to enemy bullets, but they have a limited supply of fuel, and they will sustain... Uh, damage when the fuel runs out or the tank is caught in an explosion and it will kill your player unless you can get out of the tank and get clear of the tank before it explodes. The rotary joysticks are uh, regular eight-way joysticks but they also have a rotary control on the top of them that gives you the freedom to walk in eight in different directions and uh, attack in eight more. No shot is fired directly from in front of the player. The warrior uses the machine gun in his right hand and throws grenades with his left hand. If a player takes too long moving up the screen, 
the computer starts calling and starts using what is called called for fire. Uh, a red spot appears below him and a missile comes from the top of the screen and if you don't get away from that red spot the resulting explosion will kill you. It will, this is just basically a mechanic used to speed the game up. The game is simply known as Akari in Japan and Akari Warriors in the United States and Europe. In addition to changing the names of the main characters, the military commander the players rescue at the end of the game is named General Kawasaki in the Japanese version and Colonel Cook in the U.S. European version. Uh, General Kawasaki's name was unchanged in the NES version. The enemies in the game were actually neo-Nazis as evident, evidenced by the presence of a swastika in the middle of the final room. Well, that's interesting. Huh. Okay. Uh, let's see. In Japan, Game Machine listed Akari Warriors on their March 15, 1986 issue as being the most successful table arcade unit of the year. And I believe that because it really got a big impact over here. Um, in 1996, Next Generation listed the arcade version of Akari Warriors as number 61 on their top 100 games of all time, lauding the innovative joysticks, play balance, and power-ups which offer an invigorating boost to the character's capabilities without taking away the game's challenge. Let's see, Akari Warriors spawned the sequel's Victory Road, which was also released in 86, and Akari 3 The Rescue in 1989. Uh, SNK released an Akari Warriors clone in 1987 called Guerrilla War, also known as uh, Guevara in Japan. The, <laughs> the game features communist fighters Che Guevara and Fidel Castro as its heroes. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, let's see. Uh, my experiences with it. Okay, like I said at the top of the segment, this game was really addicting to me. Um, the first time I played it, was in the game room at Bolarama, and from that first time, I was, <laughs> in a word, obsessed. Um, I was constantly dropping quarters into it, and there were times, a couple of times, where I would show up with, like, two or three, some maybe, sometimes as many as five dollars in quarters, you know, and just spending the entire day trying to beat the game. I mean, I love it. It's one of the best uh, run-and-gun shooters that you'll ever play. The action is paced right. You have to plan and think almost as much as you, uh, you know, blast enemies running gun style. I don't, it might be, at least to me, it might be underrated, but then again, as I, you know, listen to other podcasts that talk about this game, I don't think it was because almost everybody loves it. Okay, so that's our experience for Akari Warriors. So let's immediately pivot into time for some strategy. Time for some strategy. Okay, with the Kari Warriors, um, from the moment you put your quarter in and you press start and you see a plane crashing in the jungle, you know you're in for an experience. I mean, that is a really good mood setter. It's simple, but really effective. Um, at the start, you're beset by soldiers shooting at you, so 
dispatch them as quickly as possible without without exposing yourself too much to, to their uh, gunfire. Use angles to get them and also move diagonally to evade their shots. So what that means is is that you want to be perpendicular. If there's a shot coming at you from, let's say, the upper right, and it's coming you know, towards you on diagonal, you want to move to the upper left to get away from it. That's the best way to evade shots without you know uh, exposing yourself to you know other uh, enemy fire as you move forward stay on the lookout for soldiers that are dressed in red because most of the time they carry the power-ups you need the list of power-ups are as follows uh, there's a power-up that has a gun on it basically what that does is restore your machine gun ammo to maximum uh, there's one with a grenade that maxes out your grenades uh, because you start with a relatively low amount of bullets and uh, grenades. Uh, there's one with a uh, gas uh, tank on it that will if you're driving in it if you're driving a tank it refuels your tank and it also restores all your ammo to maximum. So even if you're not driving a tank and you're just uh, you know running around as one of the soldiers you want to get that because that reload refills all your ammo. Uh, there's one with a uh, K on it that basically when you run over that icon and pick it up, that kills all the enemy troops on the screen except the ones that hide underwater. Um, there's one with an S. Basically, that speeds up your uh, machine gun shots, and if you're in a tank, that speeds up your uh, tank shots. Uh, the one with There's one with an L that increases the, length, the range of your uh, bullets and shells uh, to go the entire length of the screen. Um, one with an F, uh, the bullets turn red and they can destroy gun, uh, trucks, gun emplacements, and bases. Um, it's a piercing shot. It'll pass through rocks and other barriers without uh, the uh, rock or barrier uh, blocking the shot, which helps in uh, probably close to the middle of the game. Uh, if you're driving in a tank, now your, your round shells become rockets. And finally, the most important one, the one with the B, that gives you blast grenades. Uh, when you throw a normal grenade, the grenade is like um, uh, whitish silver as you're throwing it. Uh, when you uh, run over the B icon, they turn red. And when that happens, they, uh, when the you throw the grenade and it hits where you're throwing it at, it creates a giant-sized explosion. Um, all when you're uh, in the tank, your tank shots become blast grenades as well. So it behooves you to pick up all of these uh, power-ups as they come along, even if you have them. Um, the long-range shots are extremely important because uh, you will come up against um, uh, certain parts of the game where the enemy is entrenched on like these uh, high walls, and the only way you can get them is to hit them with a really well-placed grenade shot which will expose you to their fire, their machine gun fire, and possibly um, grenade throwers on the wall as well. And they'll throw either regular grenades or uh, explosive grenades, uh, depending on how far in the game you are. So yeah, these power-ups make, you know, can make or break your game. Um, as you continue in the game, you'll find tanks to jump into, like I said. Um, and you have as you 
uh, move further uh, in along in the game, you have to watch the fuel gauge on it and make sure that if you see any gas um, icons on the ground that you get to them as soon as possible. There, there was one point where I was so good at this game that I could take a tank from where you first get them uh, right after the game starts and I could, as I got all the power-ups, I could basically run that tank all the way up to where you have to abandon it because now you have to get in the water, <laughs> you know, and swim. So, yeah, that was when I was really, really good at the game back in the day. You know, as you're in the tank, you want to avoid enemy grenades and shells from enemy tanks. And if you get hit, you have maybe about three seconds to jump out of the tank and move away from the tank before it explodes because if you're anywhere near it when it explodes it will kill your character and cost you a life from there it's all about just taking out the enemy soldiers tanks bunkers and helicopters while evading their fire and explosive grenades and managing your ammo it's easier said than done but as long as you just use a little common sense and you have to watch out for mines and as you get further along in the game, I think once you get to like two-thirds through the way of the game, now you have to watch out for um, the call for fire uh, spots that I talked about in uh, the previous segment. Because now those are basically um, spots that if you run your character over it, a shell will come from the top of the screen and explode on that spot. So you have to get away from it as quickly as possible. And, you know, it gets a little frustrating in the last third of the game but you know if you if you're decent at it you're you can pretty much get through the game um you know without you know having to continue um let's see you try to stay alive as long as possible because if you have explosive grenades and you lose them in like the last third of the game you it you might as well just let the game kill you off and start over because um the red the red soldiers don't come out quite as often and when they if they drop a power up at all it's completely random so the chances of you getting your explosive grenades back are fairly slim um you know so and once you get through the last third, once you get to the last third of the game, the enemies have explosive grenades and they have no problem in, you know, chucking them and repeatedly and making your life really, really difficult. Um, I have beaten this game. Um, I think if you get to the end and you rescue the colonel at the end, you get a million points and then... Um, you know, and then the game is over, and that's it. It doesn't even start over or anything, but if that's okay. <laughs> you know, the the reward is worth it. But um, I remember um, when the game was at Bolarama, um, all the entire all the top ten scores on the game were at least a million two hundred thousand points. So you had to beat the game to get on the high score table. Um, this game is a classic. I love it. It's great. Um, like I said uh, a couple of episodes ago, um, Amazon has gotten into the gaming market. Like uh, They're trying to do what Steam does. And I think they got a little uh, deal with SNK because they got a whole bunch of SNK games for uh, download. 
you know, and, you know, for playing, and uh, they have, um, what is it called, SNK's, what, 15th or 20th anniversary collection, and Akari Warriors is in it, so, you know, I actually played it, and that game, that version of the game has a rewind feature, which means if you get killed at a certain point, all you have to do is press and hold down a button on your controller, and the game will re- rewind itself, you know, to a point where you weren't killed, and then you could try something different. <laughs> you know, I when I found about that, I was happy. And the first time I played Akari Warriors, I beat it because of that function, because I forgot more about that game than I thought I had. So, yeah. So, yeah, I love this game. It's an absolute classic. Um, if you can find it, I mean, Amazon has it there, right there. Uh, the games are free if you have Prime, which is a big bonus, and, um, you know, all you have to do is just download the game, and you have it, and you can play it as much as you want, and I certainly suggest it. Great game. Okay, and that is time for some strategy. Um, If you have any tips, tricks about Akari Warriors, um, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, so let me get to the the on-the-road segment. And let's buckle up, you know, let's buckle up, get behind the wheel, and let's to go for a little drive. Just leaving Pinball Pete's and on the way home. Um, I was just minding my own business, playing, you know, playing some games, played some Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition as I like to do at Pinball Pete's, and well, let's see, I did okay. The score was pretty good. I got like 900,000, but uh. Bison wasn't having it this tonight, so yeah, I lost. Um, there are some dudes, younger younger guys. I mean, full disclosure, I'm 50 years old. You know, still playing video games, of course, because you know I still have a big 12 year old running around inside me. So yeah, there are some younger guys. You know, like I want to say no no older than 21. They were there. Uh, one of them walked over to me while I was playing, and he asked me if I wanted to, if I played uh, Street Fighter Three Third Strike, and I said to him, no, I wasn't a really big fan of Street Fighter Three. And he said, you know, okay, and he went away, went about his business. And about two, three, four, or five minutes later, somewhere in there, I mean, I was just playing, uh, I think I was playing Sagat at the time. Or I was either playing Sagat or I was playing uh, Vega, one of the two. And he came over and asked, he said, oh no, he waited until I was done, that's right. And I, he saw I lost a Bison and he asked to play me. And I said, sure. You know, I haven't had anybody play me in Street Fighter, 
in Street Fighter since, oh goodness. I can't even remember the movie I was going to see, but Street Fighter, uh, the movie theater had Street Fighter Alpha 2 in the lobby. And I, you know, I was just playing it to kill some time before the movie started. And some dudes came up on me and asked if, you know, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to play me. I said, yeah, sure. And I played with, I played them and I beat them. <laughs> like, there were three of them. I think I beat two out of the three. I think the third guy didn't even, uh, didn't even put his quarters down. Um, but yeah, to this situation, yeah, he came in and he fought, he played me and <laughs> he played me five times and I beat him five times. <laughs> Um, that just gave me just the thought about friendly competition. You know, back in the day, most of the games were, uh, you know, two-player take turns. Very few of them were actual, actually um, one-player versus two-player. I mean, that all changed with uh, Karate Champ in 1984 and a couple other games, which I can't remember at the time, but they were... Uh, prevalent then um and I just remember when Street Fighter came out well yeah Street Fighter came out it wasn't so much at Karate Champ although every once in a while I would have some dudes you know want to play me in Karate Champ and I was really good at Karate Champ back in like 1984 1985 but um it all started with Street Fighter 2 it carried over immediately into Mortal Kombat, and then a new genre was born. And, you know, you had people playing against each other. I mean, I remember there were some guys who were really good at Street Fighter, and by gentleman's agreement, they would play against each other, but they would both pick the same, uh, same character. Like, with uh, most of the ones I remember, they always both take, took Zangiev. And, you know, they always played against each other like that. I guess they didn't want to deal with uppercuts and uh, fireballs and things like that, you know, one against the other, because that does give a rather distinct advantage. Um, and, you know, it was really cool. You know, there was a lot of trash talk being done and so forth and so on. I mean, my fondness remember memories of that kind of stuff was when, um, my ex-roommate and I would be going on arcade runs, and, you know, this was when, uh, the, uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Tournament Edition came out, where it, this one was, like, the full setup, this one was, god, how many machines? I think it was four machines, it was four machines linked together, and it was tournament style, and, you know, if I was playing, usually I was good enough with Sagat, I could get through it. I mean, sweat. Without bragging, I'd say eight times out of ten. My roommate was really good at playing Blanca. She could get through, I'd say, probably at least eight times out of ten, probably nine out of ten with her. And we would just go at each other in the finals, always. And um, by this time, I knew all her tricks. And the thing was, is that she would play really aggressively and I would play defensively. So I would turn her aggression against her. 
you know, the trick was with Sagat, because he has such a long reach, you have to use that to your full advantage. You can't let uh, somebody who's playing, say, Ryu or Ken get inside your guard, you know, get inside your the reaches of your punches, or your kicks for that matter, because, yeah, you'll you'll end up losing that fight because in close Ryu and Ken have a distinct advantage. But yeah, I knew all her tricks and I would just, she, I think it's when the tournament machine came out was when she stopped playing me because I was beating her too often for her liking. (laughs) I mean, she'll probably hear this at some point when I release the episode, this will be attached to, you know, I expect a message on Facebook at some point, you know, saying, no, it wasn't like that. I beat you just as much as you beat me, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, <laughs> this is how it went down, folks. When I first met my roommate, she was she was much better at Street Fighter than I was, and I was pretty good. And the thing was, when I moved in, when we moved in together the first time, we would be doing arcade runs all the time, and we would also be playing each other on uh, Super Nintendo and uh, Sega Genesis and you know so forth and so on. The thing is, is that I learned her techniques, and when you learn one person's techniques and you pretty much know the reach of the character that they use more often than not, yeah, you can kind of set it up and play it defensively, and, you know, it's frustrating because once you know your character's reach and what you can get away with and what you can't, um, more often than not, you'll come out on top. Unless, of course, you know, you run into guys who just want to do corner traps. <laughs> that's the that's one thing I will give this kid, you know, whoever, whatever his name is, he's probably a... Uh, uh, summer student at U of M, you know, and him and like his boys, I think he had like, you think he was there with like three or four other dudes and I'll give it to him. He played me straight up. He didn't try to cheese me with, you know, jumping jabs and, you know, short kicks, uh, short squatting kicks and blah, 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 all that corner trap stuff that I hate that a lot of people did. That was the one thing that I hated when I played Street Fighter 2 against people back in the early days before everybody knew how to properly use the characters was that most people would take Ryu or Ken and just somersault to you with a with a uh, aerial uh, jab, which is like this one hit that does like minimal damage, but there's no way to counter it without taking the damage. And... Um, then once the once he that person's character landed, then they would just button mash the short kick, short squatting kick that would attack the legs. And if you weren't good at blocking yet, you would be hit like four or five times, and sometimes even dizzied off of them. And then you know they would throw you, do it again, do it again, do it again until they won the fight. Um, that was before I learned how to trade damage like I could give out more damage than what they're giving me that means that if they're jumping at me with a short jab I will immediately go with like um a standing um a standing uh god what is it 
short. I think it's a strong, yeah, strong kick, like uh, the strongest kicks, which with Sagat, that's basically a two-stage combo knee to the upper body, high kick to the head, that kind of thing. That's an excellent anti-aircraft is what we used to call it. It was an anti-aircraft technique, which would knock your attackers out of the air. And if you timed it right and you had your distance right, you could do it without even taking damage. So kudos to this guy because, you know, he obviously was uh, more of a Street Fighter 3 player because he was doing some techniques that I've seen in the, the short time that I messed around with Street Fighter 3. Um, and, you know, you know, I give him props because, you know, I put it on him. <laughs> I definitely put it on him. You know, I'm not even bragging or boasting. It's like, yeah, I he fought me five times, and I only won, lost one round of those five fights. It was nine. It was basically ten rounds to one. You know, it was like that. So I mean, you know, it's it was it was fun. I mean, it's it's just nice just to have some friendly competition. And speaking of friendly competition, that will be a story time segment in the show if it hasn't already been put up yet. Um, so let's see. I'm pulling into my apartment complex now. Uh, trying to get this little this car into a parking spot without hitting anything and that requires a little bit of attention, so bear with me, please. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's like I said, you know, he fought me straight up, he fought fair, he was he was trying to do things, and, you know, between me knowing how to exchange uh, damage and to, uh, I knew my character's reach perfectly, and he wasn't quite sure about, you know, Ryu's reach when he first fought me. Then he took Ken the other four times. And, you know, he was amazed by Ken's fierce uh, Shoryuken, which covers quite a bit of ground. I recommended that to him, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. And I was a little rusty fighting another human being because I hadn't done it in so long. Um, you know... Even I, I was saying it, I'm like, he's making mistakes. And I'm like, oh my God, I am not making this dude pay for his mistakes. Because he would, he would, you know, like try to attack with a straight, you know, straight standing attack. And I would be squatting underneath it. And I'm just flubbing on the counter attack, you know. And I just, it was kind of funny, though, because I was just like, man, I even said it aloud to him. He laughed. I was like, dude, you are making some mistakes here, and I'm not making you pay for them. Man, I'm I'm rusty fighting another person. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a pretty nice night to be had at Pinball Pete's. I mean, I was only there for, like, what, I'd say probably, what, an hour and a half or so. I mean, I played the... Uh, Ms. Pac-Man side of the Galaga Ms. Pac-Man uh, 20th anniversary machine, which has a hyper Ms. Pac-Man in it, and the high score was like 270,000, but 
I only scored like 205. I was <laughs> a little disappointed with myself. Um, their Robotron machine is still not operating at 100%. I should have told the attendant about it. You know, the, the, the fire control, the, the firing to the left doesn't always work when it should. And Robotron is one of those games where it's hard enough without working with a handicap. But yeah, next time I go there, I'll definitely tell them. So anyway, yeah, that's my little arcade run at Pinball Pete's. It was just fun just to play against somebody who wasn't like hyper serious or so focused on the game that, you know, he, you know, that it would just would make it a really bad experience, which actually was the last time I played somebody at uh, Pinball Pete's. It was uh, SNK versus uh, Street Fighter. I think it was the 2000 and this guy worked at pinball Pete's, and basically he knew that game inside and out and basically played me to get me off the machine because i was going through that machine by myself and i was doing very well and he's like can i play you and i said okay sure and he had all his corner trap techniques down to a science and it was really frustrating to play against that guy and then He's going to look at me and he's going to say, what are you going to do? And it was like, okay, I see how this is. This, this, this dickhead works here. And he thinks he's, you know, hot S on a stick. And, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, get into some sort of altercation with the guy. I just basically walked away from him. You know, I think I said something about his fighting game, his game fighting technique but yeah i walked away from because i was like last thing i need to do is have a run-in with the police because some prick is you know being who and what he is and there's no recourse there you just basically have to wear it and walk away at that point you know but anyway yeah that was my little arcade run at pinball pete's so i'm going to call it here because it is now 11:20, and I need to get into bed because my son is uh, starting his summer school tomorrow morning, early tomorrow morning, I might add. So I'm just going to call it here. So until next time, this is Brian from On the Road. Good gaming. Have fun out there. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.